Hello and welcome to Congress Talks, a podcast that brings you the latest from the Irish Congress of Trade Unions. I'm Aileen O'Mara and in this episode, Brexit and why unions in Northern Ireland need to urge members to vote to remain in the EU. The employment protections we take for granted, such as parental leave, equal treatment for agency workers and part-timers, paid holidays and the treatment of women in the workplace or indeed in the whole human rights sphere are all underpinned by European law. The new government, what its priorities should be for a fair society. Why a road is more important than a house is beyond me. It is more than a crisis. We think it's an emergency and it should be declared as such. The referendum on Britain's membership of the EU takes place on the 23rd of June and the indications so far are that the vote is going to be close. The Northern Ireland Committee of Congress believes that leaving the EU would have a very negative impact on Northern Ireland. And on the line now I have Peter Bunting, Assistant General Secretary of Congress. Peter, first of all, we know a lot, we've heard a lot about how the economic, you know, there'll be a big economic impact on Northern Ireland of leaving the EU. But really there's, there's a lot that people don't know about the impact on the peace process, isn't that right? Yes, indeed. I mean, we receive something in the region of, uh, or will receive in the next six years, from 2014 to 2020, altogether over £3 billion in European Union funding. But from where we are, I suppose the most uh, difficult issue uh, which is confronting Northern Ireland is actually the the money which goes, uh, the peace money as it's known, when we're looking into Peace 4 will be announced shortly, Mm -hmm. and that's money which goes into the local communities. Uh, particularly in cross-community work, uh, and that will be gone if if uh, the UK votes for Brexit. Now, what that will do uh, will probably put many, many uh, community workers uh, on the out of work. It will probably as well um, send people back into their own insular communities, and we see that as a huge threat to a society which is still only emerging from conflict, mm-hmm and which all of our listeners, no doubt, will be very much aware that while there is a peace process there, it can be certainly undermined, as witnessed by the killings over the last month or so. On the other hand as well, then, regarding the peace process and human rights, the Good Friday Agreement is underpinned by uh, Article 2 of an annex to the Good Friday Agreement, which was obviously decided in joint referendum in both jurisdictions by the vast majority of the population. And that is that it was ratified, uh, the Good Friday Agreement was ratified, both governments lodged the agreement as a treaty with the United Nations. And I think within that, that sense you will hear the likes of Michael Gove uh, and company talking about the um, dumping once they, if, if, if Brexit is carried in the referendum, uh, want to dump the European Court of Human Rights. And that for us will certainly cause a lot of difficulties to us as well mm. because human rights, we believe, is the bedrock for moving forward for both communities. Uh, and in that type of scenario, we will never get a human rights bill for Northern Ireland, which at the moment has been strongly opposed, particularly by uh, the DUP, uh, and primarily for more uh, religious reasons than political reasons. And some of us remembered what the border was like when the troubles were there. But, I mean, that border disappeared effectively, or there is really no border as such between Northern Ireland and the Republic. There was an article in the Belfast Telegraph last week where David McNary, who was an MLA uh, and has now just retired at the last elections, but is the leader of UKIP in Northern Ireland, he was demanding that in the event of a Brexit, 
that the British Army should be sent out again to patrol the border. Now, that's the recipe uh, for leaving poor old British uh, Army soldiers uh, as target practice for the dissident Republicans who still, unfortunately, inhabit parts of Northern Ireland. And again, uh, that's like waving a red flag uh, to mm-hmm. the bull. Uh, and I think in that context, that's just one part, for, again, from the peace process. But then we will also have uh, public border controls, passport controls, and other issues, because uh, uh, I'm, I'm advised that in the event of uh, the UK voting for a Brexit, then the Irish government, which is currently not involved, will have to join Schengen, which will then uh, man, because we're the only land border with the UK, so in relation to immigration, etc., etc., there will have to be uh, manned border posts there in the, in the future, in the event of the Brexit, uh, and you'll have then, you know, all sorts of regulations and forms to be filled in uh, from lorries going in both directions. So what you're going to do is have a cost on trade, uh, and then obviously that will be passed on to the consumer. And again, I think part of the whole business of the, of the you know, the all island economy, the cross-border uh, commerce and trade between both jurisdictions has been an aid to breaking down what people perceive to be barriers. Um, so so this is a huge thing as well, that the, the cross-fertilisation, even from the business community and the workers who would be delivering goods as well, helps in a way as well uh, to take that, you know, that ogre from the eye of the beholder uh, who have never met a person from the Republic or indeed those people from the Republic who are working in Northern Ireland uh, that you know that everybody in Northern Ireland uh, is not an evil person as well. So I mean, you're building relationships, or there are friendships being built, uh, uh, and we're getting some degree of normalisation, uh, and people then are probably more uh, inclined then to travel and ho- holiday and go to football matches or whatever they go to. Peter, one of the things that we could take for granted, the workers' rights that have built up, you know, for, for members of the European Union, workers who are, are in the European Union, they, they could be lost uh, if Britain leaves the EU, couldn't they? Absolutely. I mean, currently we have what's termed the Trade Union Bill, which is an attack on trade unions in the United Kingdom on a whole raft of issues. Uh, and, and that's a huge threat to the, the trade union movement in certainly GB. Northern Ireland certain is protected because we have our own autonomy in relation to employment rights. But let's emphasise that many of those the employment protections we take for granted, such as parental leave, equal treatment for agency workers and part-timers, paid holidays, and the treatment of women in the workplace, or indeed in the whole human rights sphere, are all underpinned by European law. And we have a huge fear in Northern Ireland that if Brexit occurred, that we would lose a number of those employment rights and workers' rights. And we have to say that whether it be in the Republic of Ireland or indeed the British government, none of those governments would ever have implemented many of those employment protections on their own uh, if they were not in Europe. Peter Bunting there. Well, we have a new government in the Republic and Congress has a list of its 10 priorities for that government, which include the areas of workers' pay, health, pensions, the homeless crisis and water, amongst others. General Secretary Patricia King says the government needs to pay a living wage to low-paid workers. Our position on the living wage is very clear. From our perspective, every worker deserves to be paid a decent rate of pay for the work that they do, which should be no lesser than 11.50 as an hourly rate, which equates to the living wage. 
So low hour contracts, that's another issue of priority for you, isn't it? Yes, and they were that issue was well highlighted in the recent um, Dunstores dispute, which is ongoing. And from our perspective, we need to see amendments to the current legislation or indeed a new piece of legislation which provides for banded hour contracts whereby people can come to work assured of the hours band that they're in and that they can be offered this without having the control mechanisms that employers are currently able to um, put in place. So from our perspective, we'll be lobbying uh, the parties in government and outside government indeed to ensure that we get that amended legislation. The government, this is an opportunity now for the government to rebuild this country, to repair the damage done by, by the recession, by the financial crisis, and by all the austerity that we mm-hmm. had to, you know, had to endure for the past while. So as well as the living wage, which, you know, you have said is 11.50 an hour, there's other things that the government could do as well, aren't there? Like, you know, the right to collective bargaining and employer labour conference, you know, a better partnership, better, you know, arrangement for discussions between... Unions and the government, yeah? Yeah, well, what we've said consistently now over the last year or two that an employer labour conference, particularly an employer labour conference disputes mechanism, uh, should be revitalised. It was there for decades. Then we had a national implementation body as part of social partnership. Yes, austerity has brought with it um, basically societal wreckage um, and... Uh, there are a lot of people, particularly on the lower income spectrums, who are paying for that. So from our perspective now, it is an opportunity for the government, when they have set out uh, their policies and a whole range of issues, to think out how they meet their own standard uh, of fairness. If you take education, for instance, we think from planning their budget on a long-term planning basis, uh, we currently have an under-resourced underfunded education system we think that they should plan on the basis of having that at funded at the basis of seven percent of gdp uh, we think that those who work in the sector should have security of tenure and terms and conditions and we think that it's actually a highly productive system and now is the time to do it because the economy is starting to pick up and there is a bit more money for spending isn't there by well the you government? have a growth level say in 2015 of 7.8 percent uh, we are lauded as the fastest growing economy in the eu um, so therefore if that is the case uh, and it is uh, the government have the, I suppose, the great honour of being able to make decisions and they are in a position to make those decisions that will affect people's lives. And we are, for our part in the movement, highlighting to the government what we believe will be the important, sensible uh, and good decisions for uh, most uh, working people in the state so we're saying to them take this opportunity and that's why we've offered our 10 priority uh, policy mm-hmm. points to them. And health is another big area of concern isn't it? Yes. Inequality of access to health is one thing but health spending is another yes. big part. And um, despite actually um, a strong narrative in the last number of years that we are one of the highest spending uh, countries we're mm-hmm. actually not. Um, our GDP spend compared to other European countries, we're 14th in Europe, which means we're not by any means the highest. And from our perspective, we want a universally accessible system. It is entirely unfair uh, 
that you can receive health care dependent on how much money you have and that you, if you have the money to buy it you can get fairly immediate care and if you don't you are condemned to a waiting list which means your health declines and the condition you have declines and therefore your position is compromised. That's entirely unacceptable. Um, we should have a new vision for the health service a huge number of trade union members work in the health service and our judgment is that that voice should be heard a lot more. Pensions is a huge area as well, isn't it? Because there is a bit of a time bomb, to use that terrible cliche. I mean, a lot of people have no pensions at all. And uh, what do you want the new government to do in that Well, regard? from our perspective, um, and we have been saying for a considerable number of years that the pension issue um, actually is um, an area of real deep concern. Uh, old age poverty is certainly what a lot of people are heading for if we don't address the current situation. And there are a few key pieces. Uh, one, the government made decisions in the past recent years to extend the retirement age. Actually, they're going to accelerate that faster than other European countries, which we think is completely wrong. Um, there are a plethora, a large contingent of Irish workers who into the future have no provisions at all for pensions, for any second-tier pension. And from that perspective, that arises because some of the defined benefit schemes uh, failed or have been closed. Um, we have a defined contribution scheme system as well. But the numbers of people actually in second-tier pension schemes are actually quite low when you, when you compare to the level of people who are working in the economy full stop. So from that perspective, we are proposing a national superannuation fund, which would uh, involve contribution from the employer, the employee, and the government, and to act and provide for uh, second-tier pension supply to um, workers into the future. And we think that that's a really important piece, um, and we think that uh, very strong consideration should be given to that to avoid the elder poverty, uh, which is really now, unless it's addressed, that's where we're all heading. A lot of people in their older age who will find themselves in quite deep poverty. Water is also one of your priorities. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, it is another fine mess, isn't it? I mean, really, what, what, is the what does Congress want to do in relation to the issue around water? Well, in relation to the charges, our annual dele biennial delegate conference last July made a very clear decision, which was we are against uh, charges. But we also had um, a strong... Uh, lobby campaign which began immediately after that uh, conference which was that there needs to be a constitutional um, amend a constitutional amendment by referendum which would enshrine uh, the water sector in uh, the realm of the Irish public water as you say is is an urgent matter to be dealt with but really what's very urgent as well is the whole homelessness crisis mm -hmm. isn't it what does congress see as the solution to that well firstly we think it is more than a crisis we think it's an emergency and it should be declared as such and we think that that in itself would mean that all of the normal systems providing solutions actually in this case are not going to provide the solutions uh, you have to take extraordinary measures in an emergency scenario. 
certain cities, but particularly in Dublin, there's plenty of land, but a plethora of reasons why the land can't be released to provide for housing quickly. And our judgment is that if you can't release it through NAMA, then you do like you do if you're building a road, you compulsively purchase it. Now, that worked extremely well when we needed a transport infrastructure here in this country in terms of roads. Why a road is more important than a house is beyond me, but at the moment we keep on hearing about the impediments of property rights and uh, landowners and so on. Well, my answer to that is, if they want to, to, to question or challenge a decision on it, let them. They're very perfectly entitled to do it, but go and build a house anyway. And like I say, there are precedents of laws being enacted in emergency situations. And as you say, if you can do it for roads, you should be able to do it for houses, Correct. for homes as well. General Secretary Patricia King there. And that's all from this episode of Congress Talks. Remember, there are regular updates and news of this and more on the Congress website, ig2.ie. And you can follow Congress on Twitter, at Congress, and on Facebook. I'm Aileen O'Mara, and thanks for listening.